I'm Jessica Fries. Welcome to the Financing Our Future podcast brought to you by the Prince's Accounting for Sustainability Project, A4S. On today's podcast, I am delighted to be welcoming back Harmeet Singh, EVP and CFO of Levi Strauss & Co. Last year, I spoke to Harmeet and Julie Brown, the CFO of Burberry, about building sustainable supply chains. I was keen to get an update to hear how things have been going as we continue to grapple with the challenges presented by the pandemic and to adopt a sustainable, equitable approach to business. Harmi, welcome back. It's great to have you back on the podcast. Last year, we spoke about the impact that the pandemic was having on your supply chain and lessons learned in terms of building resilience. Can you say what has changed in recent months? Great to be back, Jessica, and it's great to see you safe and healthy. Um, To your question, in some ways, everything and in some ways, nothing. To start with the latter, our commitment to continue pushing to make our products and practices as sustainable as they can still remains. There were concerns that sustainability would fall by the wayside during the pandemic, and we did perhaps not see quite the same level of progress towards some goals as we'd hoped. But we also brought to market our most sustainable genes made with more recycled denim content than we've ever used. We've reached 71% renewable electricity in our owned and operated facility on our way to 100% by 2025. We're now at 76% of our products made with our waterless finishing techniques, which have saved more than 4 billion liters of water over the past decade. We've also recycled nearly 10 billion in manufacturing in the same timeframe. And we've just launched a marketing campaign, Buy Better, Way Longer, using our brand platform to address overconsumption in apparel. It calls on consumers to be more intentional about their purchasing decisions while acknowledging our role in the issue and our responsibility for being part of the solution. And we're seeing some very important changes too. With consumers in their expectations, especially from the younger consumer, a shift towards more conscious consumption that we as a company are well positioned to. With investors, the increased integration and interest of EHG initiatives in how they're viewing companies. In the supply chain, our acceleration to digital across operation, which has sustainability implications as well. And with employees in the need to improve our performance on diversity as a company. So as I said, everything and nothing all at once. One of the things we really talked about last time was your supply chain, how the the workers in your supply chain were grappling with and dealing with the pandemic. How has the experience over more recent months changed or continued? Yeah, I mean, supply chain, you know, has been a competitive advantage for us as a company. And my heart goes out to all the workers in our manufacturing plants, largely third-party manufacturing plants, because they've been, they've had to deal with a lot. You know, lucky, luckily for us, 
we've seen very little supply chain disruption. And that's largely because we were very proactive with our vendor partners in thinking through how we could develop a win-win for both sides. Um, while we had to cut production, we ensured that we honored our commitment for the orders we had placed. We, uh, as a supply chain, also, you know, not concentrated in any one country or with one vendor. It's a pretty diverse supply chain spread across 23 countries. We were able to ensure uh, that the workers who, uh, uh, you know, got impacted, we were able to ensure that we were able to do our piece. You know, we donated $1.7 million to support the workers as part of our contribution, um, you know, in 2020. This is on top of the workers' well-being program that we have, we have started 10, 12 years ago. It's our workers' well-being program, uh, which focuses on financial literacy and health education for the women in the workforce. And we're working with the Harvard Public School to try and take it to the next level. And so overall, I think working with our vendors, ensuring there were discounted or subsidized financing programs, uh, available to them and to ensure that the health and safety of the workers didn't get compromised, other things that we kind of done. And overall, you know, I, I think we will leave the pandemic, whenever the pandemic is behind us, in a much better uh, position and again, position as, you know, as competitively as we were pre-pandemic. Or the other thing that we're doing across supply chain is to uh, drive supplier diversity. So we have started that as a, as a program within the company. We're looking at both direct suppliers and indirect suppliers. We're trying to, at this stage, quantify the level of diversity and more importantly, what needs to be done to improve our, our diversity stats across supplier base. And we're doing this globally. One of the issues that we did touch on last time um, was systemic racism and some of the work that you at Levi's had been doing on, on diversity, equity and inclusion. Can you say a bit more about the actions you've been taking and, and how you as a CFO can play that critical role in the response? You know, I'd start with the mindset and what a general belief in the company that a diverse organization will outperform more homogeneous one. As a company, we've been focused and driving diversity for you know, many, many years. And with what's happened last year with the, the murder of George Floyd, what's happening recently with the rise of crimes against Asian Americans, you know, we take this very importantly and critically within the company. We were very transparent about our numbers, our diversity stats, and our shortcomings, and made commitments. We brought on terrific people to lead and support the work. We now have a chief diversity and inclusion officer. We have added uh, a diverse candidate to our board. We've, we've done uh, various equity studies, uh, you know, from a gender perspective and the results have been, you know, results that make us proud from that perspective. 
Uh, we've also rolled out family paid family leave policies that are proven to address inequality because, as you know, black and brown people have historically lacked uh, access to paid leave, which has compounded inequities and helped sustain the wealth gap. And, and this is across the organization, starting with the board, the CEO, my colleagues in the C-suite, and me personally. Uh, uh, what I've done personally, a couple of things. One, uh, I've started a mentor-mentee program and invited our diverse uh, folks across the organization to join the program. In fact, the demand has outstripped supply, and my leadership team uh, were originally uh, set to take one mentee, and now you know most of them have taken on a second mentee. I recently posted on LinkedIn my own personal perspective to abhor the Asian hate crimes that we have seen, uh, especially after the events that happened in Atlanta, talking about these things, uh, explaining to the folks that it's important, and more importantly, being transparent about what we're doing, I think is critical. Uh, there is a lot to be done. There's so much opportunity for, for us um, in the corporate world. And I think, you know, between the leaders in the company, our CEO, myself, I think, um, you know, we're all set around a mindset to improve and uh, ensure there's more equality across uh, and more diversity in both the industry as well as in our businesses. So important, the points you were touching there and, and particularly being able to and being open and, and transparent and sharing the, the lived experience that people have. In terms of the numbers side of things as well as, as a CFO finance, I think can really put a spotlight on current performance mm-hmm. and drive progress, drive future outcomes. Can you say a bit more about how finance can really help to accelerate progress, understanding and action? I, I would say a CFO can do a, a couple of things. One, you know, set the right tone on the top. The second is objectively measure, you know, a reality. So help define uh, both the good and the bad. Uh, and then measure progress, whether it is progress against diversity scores, whether it is investments against ESG initiatives, including initiatives that improve uh, employee morale, uh, because I believe we should add another E to ESG, which is employees. I think uh, the finance function can do you know, its part. You know, the way we think about ESG um, is we look at things that are material to us or, you know, more importantly, uh, material to improving the state of the planet. And our focus is on water, on climate, on our employees. And And it's really, really important to measure how we're doing against that. You know, some of the investments in the short term will cost money, but in the long term, will definitely help. And, you know, I talked about the workers' well-being program, which definitely improves productivity. We have the waterless program, which improves uh, margins because you're consuming less water. It's good for the climate. Um, And the other thing, you know, we're putting our money where our mouth is, Jessica. Uh, We have taken the diversity, equity, and inclusion 
metrics uh, and incorporated that in long-term compensation of all our leaders. Is is you know we're starting that in 2021. We think it's important to ensure that which sets the right mindset and important to measure progress. And as you said, transparency is important. This way, we will be transparent about our progress. Um, and it does two things. One is to talk about the basic diversity stats across the organization. The third is to drive a culture where this is critical to drive superior performance and again, lead the industry as we've done in the, uh, over the last many years. And I think setting the right culture of inclusion, making sure people grow, making sure we recruit uh, you know, diverse folks um, as we recruit talent, I think will make a big difference. I'd love to hear more about that recruitment side. How are you making sure that you're attracting diverse talent into finance? And, you know, so I'll give you a few examples. Uh, when we set out uh, in August of last year as a company, we said, one of the things we said, beside training for, you know, folks around the company, uh, we also said when we recruit uh, talent, we ensure we have a diverse set of candidates. So we said we'll ensure for every person we're recruiting, at least 50% of the folks will be diverse. So you have, you broaden the pool. And, uh, and that's been put into practice. I mean, I've just done some recruitment. Uh, I see diverse candidates, both from an ethnicity perspective, gender perspective, and a race perspective, as well as I firmly believe, having grown up outside the US, I firmly believe that uh, it brings in diversity of thought and experiences, which enriches any program or solution um, uh, you know, that the company advocates. I think uh, a couple of examples. The other thing we are looking hard at is given that we're all working from home or working from anywhere, you're in London, I'm in, I'm in San Francisco. I think um, as we become more flexible in allowing people to work from anywhere, it does allow us to bring diverse, uh, higher diverse candidates. We just recruited somebody who was not willing to move from New York, but she, was, she wanted to work for Levi's and we said, She's great talent. Let's recruit her. And we hired her. I've just recruited a chief security, information security officer, and he's based out of Atlanta. More difficult to uh, recruit, but he's very comfortable in his environment there. And I said, okay, let's recruit him. We'll, you know, he will travel into work um, when he needs to. You know, so I think as we open and become more flexible on how people work, and we're still figuring out that, as most companies are, I think it'll just allow us to bring in diverse talent. And then once they're here, they've, you've got to ensure the, that the environment is conducive. It, it allows them to grow. It allows them to develop. And, uh, you know, I think that's the piece that, you know, why I think culture is so important. One of the other areas of real influence that you have as CFO is in your purchasing decisions. How are you driving more diverse, equitable, inclusive approaches there? So whether it, it might be with your bankers, your auditors, your other, other suppliers that as a CFO, you've got a very strong relationship with. First, it's important. And everybody in the organization understands that. You know, you know my head of uh, global strategic sourcing, that, that team that um, manages you know, all our indirect uh, vendors, it's well understood. My treasurer, 
you know, as we go out and build banking relationship, uh, handle transaction, uh, again, is something that their team understands. And so as we build relationships or expand relationships or negotiate deals, I think uh, it's important for us to ensure that, again, we are broadening our pool of vendors, a pool of uh, relationships, so that we include diverse uh, talent. Um, you know, when, I, when we did the IPO two years ago, uh, we ensured that as we listed bankers, there was a diverse, uh, diversity was important, and there was a diverse pool. Um, you know, when we are negotiating contracts, you know, we're just ensuring that um, we are talking to folks, uh, you know, minority-led uh, companies as well as large companies. I just, uh, we have some large relationships with large tech companies. And I, you know, we do regular business reviews. I just finished one with a large company. I won't name them. Uh, but the second page in the review was their diversity stats, you know, and how are they improving, whether it's the gender balance, um, or whether it's you know uh, more um, you know diverse talent from an ethnicity etc. So I think I think just by doing these things by signaling it's important I think and setting the right tone makes a difference and that's how we're thinking about it and it's making a big difference. Um, but you know the, it's the journey just starting. I think all of us can do our part uh, and we are proud to do our part. That idea of a journey is one that people often talk about, but accelerating the pace of travel is so important because we really yeah. haven't got time to, to wait, whether it is around diversity, whether it's around some of the other issues that you touched on, like climate. With the vaccine starting to be rolled out, um, but a long way to go globally, what do you think the year ahead will bring? What are the key things to look for? What are the key changes that you see happening? It's important to start with a mindset uh, and, and be optimistic and say we're going to beat the virus. It's also important to be practical and real uh, because there are going to be peaks and troughs. As an example, this Monday, uh, the UK was beginning to reopen, but India was beginning to close. And both are important market. Uh, consumers in both markets are critical. The UK has have done a fabulous job in rolling up the vaccine. Uh, nowhere near done, but you know, pace has accelerated. You know, the the sentiment is getting a lot better. Confidence is, you know, our consumers are feeling a lot more confident. And I'm an optimist person by heart. And for us, um, you know, from a business perspective, we are seeing a lot of positive indicators uh, as people emerge from the uh, from home and get back to office, get back to normal life. Uh, we see the dress mode or dress code becoming a lot more casual. That plays to our strength. What we did during the pandemic was we accelerated the pace of digitization. Mm -hmm. So the you know, as because the consumer has digitized her or his experience, I think you know, interacting with the consumer in a very different way, I think will, will, will help us, uh, you, know, uh, you know, from that perspective. But I think there's a few things that this has taught us. It's taught us to be nimble, taught us to be flexible, and taught us to be ready to adapt. You know, we thought Europe was opening, 
September, October of last year, things were looking really good. And then the lockdowns happened. So we had to quickly adapt and be nimble. I think as a leader, you know, it's taught me to be a lot more compassionate. It's taught me to demonstrate empathy. It's taught me to listen a lot more because people are dealing with different, you know, situations, both at home and at work. And our consumers are going through the same. And I think just understanding what, you know, what, how people are reacting to this unusual situation. I've never seen anything like this in my 35 years of professional life. And then reacting to it and responding in a way where we're doing it with our values protected. I mean, we are a value-based company. And so when we do things, you know, that's, that's our filter, which is, is important to ensure you don't compromise your values. In fact, it's important to ensure you're able to strengthen and reinforce your values. I think it's critical. And that's the way we have kind of um, rolling things out. That's why we roll out paid family leave. You know, unfortunately, we had to lay people off. But when we did it, we extended, you know, the uh, medical benefits, et cetera, et cetera. So there are lots of examples where that's been uh, important. The other thing that we did, Jessica, because um, mental health was important. Uh, people are working nonstop, um, you know, 24-7. What we have done is we've protected, and on Fridays, uh, it's a meeting-free Friday. Every last Friday of every month is a holiday because we want, and then every meeting has been cut back from 60 minutes to 45 minutes or from 30 minutes to 25 minutes just to allow people uh, some time to, you know, for themselves, to think through things, to work with their families, to help educate uh, children who are schooling from home, etc., and I think it's making a big difference. Thanks, Hami. I I'm afraid we've run out of time, but that is a fantastic message to be finishing on one of purpose, value, and optimism. So thank yeah. you so much for sharing sharing those insights. Um, coming back to the podcast and giving us an update on some of the progress you've been making. Thanks, Jessica, for having me here. A big thank you to Hamit for joining us today. If you want to learn more about what we've been discussing, please visit our website, accountingforsustainability.org, where you'll find all of the information we've talked through, case studies, examples, and links to all of the documents. Please do also sign up to our A4S newsletter to keep up to date. And before you go, if you've enjoyed the podcast, we'd love it if you could support us by liking and subscribing. Thanks again for listening and we hope to speak to you again soon.